The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Welcome to the show today. Our show today is being brought to you in part by Azi, Genentech, Lexus, and Morphotech. The show today is all about support for caregivers and more specifically about a unique caregiving partnership program and research project between the University of Michigan Comprehensive Cancer Center and one of our affiliates, the Cancer Support Community of Greater Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, Before we get into the details of this resource for caregivers and the findings of the study, which is called the FOCUS Program, I think it's important for our listeners to understand what we mean when we say caregiver. Uh, The definition of caregiver certainly varies from situation to situation. Often we think about someone who plays, uh, when we think about someone playing this role, we think about someone who's assisting with the physical needs of someone with a chronic illness, maybe helping them dress, helping them eat, prepare food, driving them to doctor's appointments, things like that. But the the definition of a caregiver can be certainly much broader than that. Uh, Our caregivers are often providing social and emotional support. Maybe they're providing uh, financial assistance, a whole range of support. Uh, They may be a spouse, a son, a daughter, a parent, another loved one, but certainly regardless of who they are and exactly how they are caring for a person with cancer, it's important to note that they, too, are in need of support and in need of a support system. We know that a cancer diagnosis is life-changing not only for the person with cancer, but also for the loved ones in that person's life. So, um, uh, you know, we, t- we talked about caregiving research a couple of years ago on the show when the focus program was first implemented at, at uh, our Greater, Greater Ann Arbor affiliate, but I, I want to welcome back to the show today Dr. Laurel Northhouse, Professor of Nursing at the University of Michigan. Dr. Northhouse is a nurse scientist in the field of cancer research. During her career, she has conducted a number of studies investigating the impact of cancer on the family. As an expert in the field of cancer caregiving, Dr. Northhouse provides a unique perspective on the needs of both patients and caregivers and the variety of tools and resources available to them. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Northhouse. Thank you, Kim. Really nice to be back. 
And also returning to the show, we have Bonnie Dock. I'm a program director at the Cancer Support Community in Greater Ann Arbor. Bonnie holds a master's degree in social work from the University of Michigan and practiced as a licensed medical social worker at St. Joseph Mercy Hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan, before coming to work for the Cancer Support Community. She has uh, worked with many patients and caregivers throughout her career and has collaborated with Dr. Northhouse in facilitating the FOCUS program at CSC Greater Ann Arbor. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me. We're thrilled that you're here. Um, so let's uh, let's get, uh, give a little bit of background to our listeners on this research collaboration and, 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 and talk about the program. Dr. Northhouse, could you start off by telling us more about the FOCUS program, how it began, and really what called your attention to the need for a study like this on caregiving? Yes, Kim. Happy to do so. So we developed the program nearly 20 years ago. It's hard to believe. But to address the emotional concerns of uh, people with cancer and their family caregivers, and I'm glad that you defined that, Kim, because people are confused sometimes about that. But anyhow, during uh, that time, 20 years ago, health uh, health professionals like nurses, physicians, and so forth often focused mostly on the physical needs of survivors, and their emotional needs were seldom addressed. And back then, family members were viewed as bystanders or people who were on the sideline. They were not viewed as people who were deeply affected by the survivor's cancer, and as a result, the needs of family members were seldom addressed. So from our early research, we learned that family members, especially the person who is the primary support person that you identified, often reported as much emotional distress as the survivor. And even though cancer was not in the family member's body, because people sometimes question that, how could they possibly have as much uh, emotional distress? Mm-hmm. So even though it wasn't in their body, it was in the caregiver's life, and it affected their emotional well-being as well. So we learned from the early research that survivors and family caregivers' responses to cancer were related, and I often like to use the word interdependent. In other words, each person's response to the cancer had an effect on the other person's. And it's really important to understand this interdependence because that's why we think it's so important to interview, to intervene, I mean, with both the patient and the caregiver. So based on this research, uh, we began to view the patient and the caregiver as the unit of care. And because of the mutual effect on one another, we wanted to involve the caregiver in the intervention as well. So since there were very few programs, you know, 20 years ago that Mm -hmm. offered help to both the survivor and their caregiver, we developed this program to offer information and support to both of them. And we called it the FOCUS program. And if I can just take a few minutes, uh, Kim, I'd like to tell you what that acronym FOCUS means. Yes, please do. Okay, thank you. So F, so F-O-C-U-S, that's the name of our program. And each letter stands for one of the five sessions that we offer in the program. So F, just very quickly, refers to family involvement. And in this session, we encourage patients and caregivers to work as a team to manage the cancer. We encourage them to support one another, to keep their lines of communication to get uh, open, and it's really all about teamwork. DO refers to optimism, and in uh, this session, we discuss, we discuss ways to help them keep their hopes up, both patients and caregivers. We encourage them to engage in enjoyable activities, to not get consumed by the cancer, and to try to surround themselves with positive people. 
The C refers to coping. In this session, we encourage them to use active coping strategies, such as problem solving or getting some exercise to manage their stress. Um, and we encourage both of them to try to reduce their stress because we know both the patient, uh, the, I say patient, I'm, I'm not survivor, um, are affected by the illness as well as the caregiver. The fourth session is about uncertainty reduction, so that's the U in focus. And in this session, we help both the patient and their family caregiver get uh, information to help reduce their uncertainty about ways to manage the illness. We also spend some time in that session talking about ways to live with uncertainty because cancer does bring a lot of uncertainty in people's lives, and so it's also important to know how do you live with that. And then the final letter uh, stands for symptom management, and in this session we deal with symptoms that the survivor might be experiencing, either due to treatment or the disease, but a unique part is we also deal with the symptoms that the family caregiver may have. Some caregivers have other comorbid conditions themselves, um, or even the stress uh, of dealing with uh, the illness, and so we try to help the, the family caregiver deal with issues like mental fatigue. And so that's a quick overview, Kim, of what our program is about. And so, Dr. Notas, just to be clear, so there are, these are five sessions that happen and the, both the patient and the caregiver are together in these sessions. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct, Kim. And I'm, gra I'm glad you mentioned that because I do want to say um, that we have varied the number of um, sessions. Um, our usual number is five, as, you know, we mentioned. But sometimes we've tried to see, we've tested a shorter version, like a three-session program. We've also tested a six-session version, and Bonnie will talk a little bit about that. So, but usually it's around five to six sessions, um, our program. And these are said these are weekly sessions, and how, how long do the sessions last, more, more or less? Well, that's also varied a bit as well. Usually uh, in our in-home program, they're about two weeks apart, and I know that Bonnie has been offering it every week consecutively. So um, it, it, it depends a little bit on the, on the situation and the people's availability, but okay. usually it's one to two weeks apart. Okay. All right. Well, Bonnie, well, that's a great uh, foundation for the conversation, Dr. Northoff. Thank you for bringing us up to speed. So, Bonnie, uh, let me turn to you before we, um, uh, we've got a, a few minutes till our first break here. But, but so, Bonnie, how did you hear about the program, um, uh, get connected with Dr. Northoff and, and, and start to get this implemented at the cancer support community there in Ann Arbor? Yeah. So, um, I have a little bit more of a history with the program other than just my work at the cancer support community and, and that um, when I did individual work with survivors and their loved ones in the Department of Radiation Oncology here at St. Joe's in Ann Arbor, um, I was hearing about um, the people that I was working with, I was hearing about their participation in the focus study because they were, um, Laurel and her team were recruiting um, patients and their family members from both the institutions, the cancer centers in our community. So I was hearing good things about um, what this program was providing in home um, before I even had met Laurel or the cancer support community had ever even came to Ann Arbor. And then fast forward to um, 2007, we opened here in Ann Arbor, and then um, in 2009, we, um, Laurel actually uh, was speaking with someone at our headquarters office, Ashley Varner, at a uh, conference through the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregiving, and um, the idea for, the, for this project and the translational research of bringing the focus program to the community and translating it into a little bit of a different community-based model sort of came to life, and then uh, the cancer support community of Ann Arbor and, um, and myself uh, kind of came on board 
um, after Laurel initiated that. Okay, and so you said, as you said, Bonnie, the program is offered not just at our CSC affiliate in Ann Arbor. Can you tell us about where, where else, and how else, and what other settings uh, it is uh, implemented across the community as we move towards our break here? Yeah, so I think that Dr. Northhouse talked about that already. I mean, um, where I had learned about it before was when um, it was the the original. Um, the original format, the five sessions in, in the home with the nurse interventionist. Um, I also know that Dr. Northhouse has um, done some web um, applications and some phone interventions, um, but we are the only community, uh, cancer support community or community-based organization that is offering the FOCUS program. And Dr. Northhouse, when, it, when it's offered in the home, so a nurse actually goes to the home and works directly in the home with the patient and caregiver on these five elements of the FOCUS program? Yes, that's exactly right, Kim. Um, they uh, work through the program with a um, patient caregiver, survivor and caregiver in the home. And, and we did that for quite a long time, many years. We offered the program in the home, but then the idea was how can we provide in a different setting? And also cost was an issue in terms of going out to everybody's home. So we were looking for an innovative way to implement in the community, and that started our wonderful partnership with the cancer support community. That's terrific. It's, a, it's just a, a, a great background, and I think it's um, terrific that we're looking at the program and testing the program in different settings. Again, it's, a, it's a, an intervention for patients and caregivers. It's called the FOCUS program, family involvement, optimism, coping, uncertainty reduction, and symptom management, FOCUS, F-O-C-U-S. Uh, this is a terrific program for, for uh, uh, patients and caregivers that's been developed and, and tested and proven uh, over a number of years um, in Dr. Northhouse's work and in partnership with the cancer support community. Um, it, it, this caring for the caregiver is such a critical part of cancer care, and we're really advancing, I think, our understanding of the need for providing uh, support uh, not only for the patient, for the caregiver, and really that you know extraordinary data that shows us that the caregiver uh, can very well have the same level of, of, of distress and anxiety um, as the patient in the midst of a, of a cancer diagnosis in the family. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about caring for the caregiver today. We are going to take a quick break here, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and ten meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, Visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 
800-500-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Frankly speaking about cancer, today's show is sponsored in part by Amgen, Celgene, and Bristol-Myers Squibb. Today we're talking about cancer caregivers, the people who provide support to a loved one following a cancer diagnosis. We've learned a little bit about uh, the FOCUS program, a research study that uh, just concluded at one of our cancer support community affiliates, our, our CSC in Greater um, Ann Arbor. I, I want to go back um, uh, to our guest uh, who developed this FOCUS program, Dr. Northhouse. Um, I, I know, Dr. Northhouse, well, you were a caregiver yourself when your husband was diagnosed with cancer. Um, can you tell us about that experience and how that experience affected your perception of caregiving and, 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 and helped you really think about and, and frame this important research? Yes, I'd be happy to, Kim. So my husband was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease about 35 years ago. Sometimes it seems like yesterday, you know, you don't forget that period mm-hmm. of time, but believe me, uh, it was 35 years ago. And at that time, he was diagnosed with advanced Hodgkin's disease. We were both young. I was around 28, and he was just 30. And we were getting ready to start a family when he went in for a, a routine checkup. And just based on that checkup, they found some things weren't quite right, and he was later diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. It was a shock, as we all know, to have a diagnosis like that. But with the help of our family and um, with the support we gave one another, we were able to get through it. And I'm happy to say, I just want to say this, uh, that he's doing well. Some people kind of wonder when I say 35 years ago, but he's actually doing very well. He has not had a recurrence in 35 years, and I think that's wonderful given that he had advanced advanced options. Um, and I also just want to say he has run 20 marathons, so his, <laughs> his uh, physical health has resumed and his mental health, and he, he's doing very well. 
But that he's experience. Making all, he's making us all look bad, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying to around, that's for sure. Well, congratulate I, I him to, for us. I think I, that's, uh, I, that's I great to hear, and we're very, very happy with uh, to hear that outcome with such a such a, uh, um, a trouble, you know, troubling and challenging story for sure. Well, yeah, but, and I think um, also when people yeah. hear advance, they, they tend to think, uh-oh, but really it's a very good story. But that experience yes. had a major effect on me. I'm sure. Because I learned what it was like to face uncertainty at a young age, to become a primary support person when I was unsure of what to do. Even though I was a nurse, I was unsure about it. And also to have our plans and hopes dashed as a, as a young couple. And there's no doubt that this insider view that I experienced and being a family member myself of a survivor with cancer had a major effect on me. And I decided at that point that I wanted to learn more about how to help uh, families, particularly family caregivers and survivors, to deal with the stress of cancer. So I went on, um, received my Ph.D. at the University of Michigan, and I've now specialized for, as I say, many years in family research and also developing the FOCUS program. Terrific, and uh, I, boy, there's you know not, nothing like that personal experience to um, to guide the work, and I think it's you know so interesting and admirable that you kind of took that experience and have turned it into a, um, a you know a career, and obviously something you're very you know passionate about, and yes. turned it into an opportunity to give back yes, uh, exactly. to so many people. It's very inspiring. Um, uh, yeah, Bonnie, I just want folks to try to to try to visualize this program, um, uh, you know, a little bit more. Folks that are just hearing about it for the first time um, today. Can you give us a better sense of the format of the program? So, you know, uh, I come in, I'm a patient, I have my caregiver, I learn about the program, I sign up for it. I mean, how many, you know, how many uh, couples or how many patient caregivers are in the room? Am I coming every week? You know, what what does this look like? Help us kind of touch it and feel it. Yeah, sure. So um, the format of the program is a six-week series. So we do uh, meet weekly for six weeks, and uh, generally it's between three to four couples or, or survivor, caregiver, um, you know, combinations. So anywhere between six to eight people in a group. Um, the support group it functions a little bit differently than the in-home visits. You know, when Laurel was talking about the FOCUS and, and those categories of family involvement and coping effectiveness and uncertainty reduction, um, for anyone who's ever participated um, in a support group or even, you know, just reflect back to your conversations with family and friends, um, so many things are really intertwined. So um, the uncertainty reduction can be related to a symptom, and, um, you know, coping effectiveness can be related to what someone views as um, what a positive outlook looks like. Um, so in a group, it's not as easy to just say, today we're only going to talk about F, family involvement. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so the protocol that um, we use for this program has a little bit of each of those um, areas, those interest areas in each group. So, And then the conversation really flows based on the individuals who are in that group. So everybody's story is going to be different and, and what they're uh, experiencing at that time is going to be a little bit different. But a lot of the feelings and the strategies that we discuss uh, are similar across each, you know, each program. And Bonnie, just to just to clarify, so it can be any patient and caregiver coupling. So it can be uh, it can be a um, it can be a, a married couple. It can be a parent and a, and 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 a, a, and a child or an adult child, or it can be a patient and a friend. Is it any coupling, or are there kind of parameters around that? It 
it is any coupling. Um, the majority of the um, couples who use the program were romantically linked, okay. um, but but not necessarily married, and they could be partnered. Um, mm-hmm. But we did have some siblings. Uh, we had one out of 34 um, couples. We had one set of uh, very close friends where the friend was a primary caregiver, but for the most part, um, they were romantically linked couples. Okay. Um, but that didn't. That would never exclude someone. And and really, the struggles and the worries and um, the topic areas were relevant um, to all different types of relationships. So they were easily integrated and able to participate in a meaningful way and, and continue to do that. Um, so so the it's six weeks for two hours each week. Um, so it's about 12 hours of time together, and that really might sound like a lot at, at the outset, and I think that when people sign up for the program, they think, what are we going to talk about for two hours? But mm-hmm. really, um, that the really rich conversation that comes out between people sharing experiences and learning things from, not just from the facilitator, but also from one another, um, you can fill two hours pretty quickly. And so, and 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 Bonnie. So, uh, folks, uh, you know, they uh, is this something that you you promoted to them, or are these the folks who've gone through it so far? Are the folks who've been in the study? Right. Okay. So, Dr. Northup. So, let's talk about the study for a minute, because um, I want to talk about the study, and then I want to talk about sort of where this is going beyond the study and how we get this out um, more broadly. So, where does uh, the, Dr. Northup the research aspect come into play? What did you evaluate? What information um, did you collect uh, from folks? And you know, and again, how do we take that and evaluate it? You know, what was the success that you witnessed, and and then how do we turn this into something that's more more widely available? Well, those are all good questions, Kim. Um, you know, the researcher just think evaluation is really important because, as Bonnie mentioned, um, in the uh, cancer support community, uh, it was offered in a group format, whereas when we offered it in uh, individually in people's homes, those were just two people and the nurse together. So essentially we were changing the delivery format just a little, broadening it to the group, which we were really interested in, in doing. Um, in addition, we had five sessions in the um, in-home run, and as Bonnie mentioned, six sessions to see if there were more people that um, to talk and share their feelings in the uh, one in the cancer support community. And so once you change the program a little bit like that, you need to test it again and be sure that some of the outcomes that are the positive things that were happening in one version of the program extend over into the other version of the program. And so what we decided to do was to give some of the same questionnaires that we had used in the in-home program to the, the group members. And generally, we uh, gave, I'll tell you just a little bit, we gave them a, oh, four or five questionnaires, not quite so many as we did in the um, individual program, because we had, we, you know, that we had a, a thousand families who helped us with that program, and we pretty much tested the program, but this was really just to check out the delivery method and also to see how satisfied participants were with this group format. So we gave them both the survivor and the caregiver a questionnaire about their quality of life. We gave them a questionnaire about the uh, benefits of illness or caregiving that they perceive. That's kind of a new thing people are looking at. Do they gain any positive, um, you know, experiences like bringing the family closer together or spending more time together as a result of the illness? So we measured that. We also measured their confidence, both the patient, the survivor, and the caregiver's confidence in managing the illness uh, on a day-to-day basis. 
we measured the amount of support they had with one another in their communication. So those were all key components that we measured to see, uh, and we measured it before and after. So the participants filled out these questionnaires before they ever started the group, once they um, agreed to it. And then after the group was completed, they, they um, completed the same set of questionnaires so we could determine were there any changes on these particular questionnaires as a result of being in the program. And we also measured their satisfaction with the program and any um, suggestions that, that they might have for the future. And the reason we wanted to evaluate one was to see their opinion about this change in the program, but also before we talked further about possibly extending it to another mm -hmm. uh, site, we just wanted to be sure everything was working well um, at in this new program. So we're, we're, we're pressed up against our break here. We've only got a minute or so, Dr. Northhouse, but give us, give, you know, give us, a, give us a bottom line on this. What, what, what's, what's the benefit? What, what are we learning uh, through the research? How does this help uh, the, the, the patient and the caregiver, you know, through their cancer illness? Well, it's uh, a great deal in terms of our, our findings. Is that what you want to quickly have me mention, Kim? Yeah, just give us a couple of t okay. you know, top so, line. That you, you know, found, then we'll go to break. We, we're going to dig in a little bit more, but I want to, uh, you know, I want to give our listeners a sense of what we, you know, yeah. what we're seeing here. Sure. Um, basically, I think it helps them cope better with the illness, both as a survivor and a caregiver. They do get this idea of working as a team. It's not just one or just the other, but it's both of them trying to benefit from the experience and um, support one another. The sport just doesn't go one way. It goes both ways. And so I think when the participants were in the group, they learned that from being in the group, from the work Bonnie did with them, but also as they heard other um, suggestions from other uh, couples going through the program, they learned from that, and they really found that very valuable. And I'd just like to add, I think that in the group, um, the group provided something in addition to what Laurel mentioned is that not only did they learn about working together as a team but, and strategies to do that and that it was, um, you know, reciprocal, but also I think they learned that they were doing a pretty okay job, you know, and that mm -hmm. what they were experiencing was really normal and it wasn't, mm -hmm. um, you know, their relationship wasn't falling apart, but that this is hard and that other good relationships also struggle through this and that there is uh, potential to work together and get better together as a team. As, as a team. And benefit other people doing that, too. And benefit from that. I think that's great. Um, we're going to take a quick break here. We've got so much more to talk about on this important uh, program, the FOCUS program. Um, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to be right back. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and ten meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 
5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. So welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, the show today is being brought to you in part by Insight and Lily Oncology. Um, we're, we're talking about this caregiver program, the FOCUS uh, uh, program, and um, Certainly at the Cancer Support Community, we're committed to backing up all of our programs with evidence, and that's why partnerships with institutions such as the University of Michigan are so important to our uh, organization. With, with research-based evidence with the data, we're able to improve the effectiveness uh, of our own services and programs that we're providing, and we're also able to contribute uh, to the broader cancer community um, at large. Before the break, Dr. Northhouse, we started to uh, get into um, – the results of the uh, of the focus program. Let me let me start with you again, Dr. Novos. Let, let's go back to that um, again. You know, we talked about your obviously you've you've used a number of measures um, in the study. Um, what were you looking for? What did you find in terms of the outcomes of the study? The, the, what benefit does this program actually provide to the patient um, uh, and the caregiver? I'll ask you first, and then I'll, I'll ask uh, Bonnie as well. What 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 the experience? has been around that. Right. Um, so what we found is that the couples or the pairs, uh, as Bonnie mentioned, who participated in the program had higher quality of life. So in terms of their emotional well-being, overall quality of life, they reported a gain in their self-confidence about how to manage the illness or to support one another It's going through it. They also perceived more benefits of, of the illness or the benefits of caregiving, and I think that had a lot to do with learning from others and kind of being reminded about that uh, not everything was negative going through this, but they actually did gain some positive uh, things going through it. So we also found they were very satisfied with the program. They liked this group format. They liked meeting with other um, people going through the same experience, especially uh, some of the caregivers. They learned that some of the feelings they were having um, uh, 
need for support, need for information was also shared by the other caregivers in the group. So we did find some very significant findings on these measures that we gave to people before and after the group. We're now doing a long-term follow-up. It's not really that long, but we're doing a one-month follow-up to see if these changes that we found early on are continuing um, after the group is over. And do you think, Dr. Northaz, is there is there an element of folks in this program learning some skills and some communication strategies that will serve them not only in, in, in the cancer experience but in other challenges that they may approach as a, as a pair or as a couple? That's a really good uh, uh, question or point, Kim. That's exactly what we found, that really even though we are offering this program to people uh, facing cancer, many of them have said, you know, that they had a family member dealing with heart disease or somebody dealing with a stroke. And really dealing with chronic illness involves having the person with the illness as well as the people around them helping them to work together and really learn some of these coping strategies that they learned in the program. They certainly do extend out to other uh, areas in their lives. That's a really good question. So, Bonnie, any um, any of the findings surprise you, or I mean, are these were these things that you've you've seen through your career? You know, what were some of the highlights or or things that folks pointed out to you that they gained from going through this program with you? Well, you know, I think that it, they didn't surprise me, it, um, but it was really wonderful to see, um, you know, how you meet a couple. Uh, at, and start a new series and you meet three to four new couples and you see where they are and then six weeks later you see where they are now and um, and I'm not talking about looking at the measures but I'm talking about how they're functioning together what they report their communication is like at home what they're learning about each other I think that is really important I think um, there are things that people learn about each other in this program and say to each other that um, doesn't always happen naturally when we're talking about chronic illness or cancer or, or um, feelings. And so I think that this program is able to provide the tools to really facilitate that growth in a couple that continues on. You know, um, people have told me, you know, we haven't, we haven't gotten along this well for years, even before the cancer. We haven't talked this much. We haven't felt this intimate together. Um, there's been all kinds of benefits in those, in, um, in those ways. And a particular story always comes to mind when I think yeah. about um, the benefit is a, is a couple who were wonderfully happy, came to the program and said, I really, you know, we don't really need much, but we really want to contribute to moving research forward for families. And so... Mm. That's great. And so they came to the program, and they learned so much about how to support each other better. And it's always those aha moments that you remember when one looks at the other and says, you never told me that. I never knew you felt that way. Mm -hmm. um, and all it takes is somebody else to say it or for the question to be asked or the tool to be provided on how to deal with it. And all of a sudden, this whole new world opens up, and, and they're going to carry that into their, um, you know, into their lives as they not only deal with this cancer, but as they deal with all kinds of things, as Laurel mentioned. Bonnie, can you also mention that a number of the, the people who were in the group decided to continue their relationships because they found it so beneficial? Yeah, absolutely. So. At the 
end of each series, um, it was common for people to say, oh, I can't believe this is our last time together. You know, it went by so quickly. And whereas at the beginning, people are saying six weeks. You know, that's kind of long. But at the end, they, they say, you know what, I, I don't want to lose touch with you. They exchange emails. They exchange phone numbers. There was always a meeting after the meeting where, um, you know, <laughs> I would excuse myself and the um, members would sit around and talk with each other. Oftentimes, I would go to get in my car and they were still in the parking lot connecting with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't just about the skills that they learned, but they built these relationships um, that they held on to after the treatment was over. So that, so that brings me, Dr. Nordhaus, to another question I have, and, and that is how did what you observed when you had, you know, these three or four pairs or couples together, how did that compare to the in-home experience where you just had the nurse with the, 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 the patient and the caregiver? What were some of the differences that you observed in both of those two settings? Well, uh, first of all, Kim, the findings were very similar in terms of some of the um, questionnaires that we saw improvement in the group format were also the same kinds of uh, findings we found in the individual format. I think one of the differences is just that you know, the, um, in the in, in-home format, it was just the, the uh, survivor and the caregiver there. So uh, those who might have been a little bit hesitant to talk to other people or share concerns may mm-hmm. have found that approach to be helpful. However, we've often wondered when we were delivering that in-home program, could, people could benefit from talking to others because many of them felt so isolated. We learned that when we went to their homes that they didn't really want to talk much uh, with others and were hesitant. And so really the beauty of the group format was this idea that in a structured sitting, a setting, even with uh, the social worker, health professional right there, they could share their feelings and concerns and re- really learn so much from one another and also feel good that they were able to help someone else. So um, the findings were similar and the approaches were slightly different, but if I can just uh, extend this a minute. One of the ways we were able to deliver the in-home program was that we had grant money from the National Cancer Institute and the American Cancer Society, and so we were able to offer our in-home program free of charge. However, when that money stopped, when that research study was over, the series that we did, um, we were looking for another way that we could offer this in the community but still not have people pay for it now that we didn't have the grant funding. And so it was really a blessing for us when we were able to partner with the cancer support community because, as you know, you offer your wonderful services free of charge to people um, all over the U.S. and in the country. And so it was a wonderful, a perfect network for us to say, can we move our program in this setting and still be able to continue um, to offer it free of charge to survivors and their caregivers? Well, maybe the next step is we've got to fight to get programs like this paid for, reimbursed by insurance companies and, yeah, and Medicare. And, and uh, right. you know, that's why the data is so important so that we yeah. can be also talk, having the policy conversation and the conversations on Capitol Hill about yeah. how we get these important interventions uh, um, paid for. You know, Bonnie, uh, you know, two, two things that I've seen or, you know, observed about um, caregivers um, as we get uh, to the break here is, um, number one, I, you know, there's this, you know, the, the, the patient can say, you know, I'm tired, I'm scared, I'm not getting out of bed today, I'm, um, you, know, they, they, you know, they can kind of retreat and then, or have the ability to kind of share all of that, but the, the caregiver often doesn't, you know, they're often the person who has to get up, who has to get out of bed, who has to go to work today, who has to keep, you know, keep, keep charging on, and I imagine sometimes there's not only, you know, fatigue, but perhaps 
perhaps even some, you know, resentment on the part of the caregiver, um, you know, about that piece of it. I've heard that, and I've also heard uh, from from patients sometimes, oh, my, you know, my caregiver, you know, he wants to do things his way, you know, and this is my cancer and, and, you know, he's a, you know, he's an information seeker and he wants a second opinion and a third opinion and I don't really want all that, you know, as the patient and I kind of, you know, want to navigate this differently. Are these some of the kinds of issues that came up in terms of improving communication, listening to the patient and his or her priorities, um, you know, ways that, you know, the caregiver could get some relief from some of the pressures uh, of the job, so to speak? Yeah, I think that's, I think it's absolutely a place where caregivers could get some of that relief and release. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that it's so common that we hear that caregivers feel that they have this desire to fix things. And that puts so much pressure on the caregiver. You know, they're, they want to take the cancer away. They want to make them feel better. Um, but then there's, um, so it's, it's frustrating to not be able to do that. And then there's the next side of that where, Um, when you talk about the resentment, maybe it's guilt. You know, people talk about, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I should do anything for myself. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I I shouldn't take time away from my loved one to go to the gym, or I shouldn't take time away from them to go golf, even though that's a type of therapy for me. You know, those kinds of things are things that we talk about in this program to encourage caregivers to continue to do things that feed their spirit as well and Mm -hmm. to really normalize the need for that because, when we talk about this interdependent relationship, when mm-hmm. things are, um, when caregivers are only giving and aren't feeding anything back to themselves, whether it's their health or their mental health, it most certainly affects the patients and the patient's mood, right. survivors, um, you know, um, attitude, outcome. And the, and the idea, and really the idea that it's going to make you a better caregiver. I mean, if, that, you you know, if your goal is to be the best caregiver you can be, then you have to understand that some of that, that self-care, um, that, you know, that's going to be the way that you can be the best caregiver. So in the, at the end of the day, it's not about you, but it's about your ability to support your loved one who is, who is uh, you know, going through cancer. I think that's, um, I think that's a good point. Um, to make as we get here uh, to our break. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about caregiving today and caring uh, for the caregiver in a wonderful program uh, that has been developed to do just that. We're going to take a quick break. We're getting into our final segment here. We're going to get some tips for our listeners, uh, some final thoughts. And really, Dr. Northhouse, I want to hear about how we're going to get this program out you know, beyond the research and out uh, into the world. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and ten meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com 
or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Onyx Pharmaceuticals and Millennium. I'm Kim Siebeldo. We've been speaking about cancer caregiving with Dr. Laurel Northhouse, Professor of Nursing at the University of Michigan, and Bonnie Dockham, our Program Director at the Cancer Support Community in Greater Ann Arbor. Before we end today, I want to get some final thoughts from these experts uh, and some other insights for any caregivers um, who are listening to the show today. And I know that there are a lot of you uh, out there, and you've sort of reached out to us, and you've written to us about some of the challenges of being a caregiver and also the blessings uh, of being able to be a caregiver um, to your loved one. Dr. Northhouse, now that the focus program that the study's completed, um, can you just take a minute to tell us what the next steps are? You know, how do we start to get this out to, to the rest of the world based on the, the terrific findings? Well, I think that's a really good question. Um, First of all, we're trying to get the results and the findings out into the professional community through some of our uh, publications and writing. Um, we're also speaking with uh, consumer groups and talking a little bit about the importance of caregivers and where there are resources for them to get help in terms of websites and also programs such as the Cancer Support Community. We would like to extend um, the focus program to um, a few other Cancer Support Community sites in larger cities, different settings, uh, and see how that program works in those settings with uh, perhaps uh, different people and so forth. Mm-hmm. But um, it's really, we're also working with uh, health professionals to try to make them more aware of the needs of caregivers and also the idea of this teamwork. That's important for the, for the health professionals to help both the survivor and the caregiver to work as a team. We're trying to get that concept out, as well as the research on this interdependence. So it's not just a, um, you know, our idea. It's just it's a research-based idea to work with them um, as a couple. But Bonnie, what do you think are are one or two of the biggest myths or misconceptions about about caregiving? Well, you know, I I think that um, there are just so many, but I, one that I continue to see and. Um, is the um, the pressure that caregivers put on themselves to always, you know, 
be positive or to, you know, if someone says, I'm scared about my my next scan, and um, and then they say, oh, you know, it's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. And um, I think that uh, caregivers feel like that's the right thing to do, to always be positive and right. to always, um, or what they feel is a positive response. Um, but in actuality, when we, when we get caregivers and survivors together, what we learn is that um, survivors really want to know the truth about how caregivers are doing. Um, you know, hearing this continuous, I'm not concerned, I'm, you know, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, um, makes the, the person going through treatment, you know, they share that they actually feel more alone in that and that when they can deal with it, this is this concept of teamwork that just keeps coming back, when, it, when the caregiver can be open with their loved one about their worries and their concerns, not only does it help provide a release for the caregiver, but it shows the patient that, you know, they're feeling some worry and some sadness too, and we're really facing this and having some of the same feelings. So I think that it's important for people to know that it's not a bad thing to be honest or to be honest with your partner. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that you don't always ha- have to pretend that you're, everything is going to be okay because we don't always know that. And even if it is going to be okay, it's still okay to be afraid that it's not going to be okay right. to share that right. together. So I think that's a really important um, lesson that we've, we've learned when bringing couples together. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Northout says we're, we're getting to the end of the show here, but um, uh, one or two tips for our listeners who are caregivers, caring for uh, a loved one, some things for them to think about as they take on that role? Yes, I think it's very important um, for caregivers and survivors to get the information they need. We strongly encourage uh, caregivers to go with survivors to their regular oncology appointments if they can work that out in terms of their work or family situation because often uh, the caregivers get secondhand information and they don't get their questions asked. So if they can be involved um, in the in the meetings and get their questions asked, that firsthand information is really helpful. We also encourage uh, caregivers not to get um, consumed, the same way with the survivors, but to try to get out, to do things that are uplifting and uh, healthy. And, you know, when we talk about the importance of getting outside and doing these kinds of things, when we say to the caregiver, you need to do this, and we say in the front, in in the presence of the uh, survivor, they too can um, support the caregiver getting out and doing some other things and trying to balance their lives. So um, those are some of the the key things Mm -hmm. that trying to keep your hopes up is always important and try to live a day at a time and uh, hope for the best. Bonnie, as we we move towards the end of our show here, um, excuse me, just take a moment to tell our listeners about the kinds of services and programs that we offer for caregivers at all of our 52 cancer support community affiliates across the country and at your uh, affiliate right there in Ann Arbor. Absolutely. So this is something that I feel very proud of um, of the cancer support community and as a program director here is that we are an organization that really does look at cancer as a family disease and that all of our programs are open to um, family members and caregivers and that they can um, come to yoga, they can come to a cooking or nutrition class with or without the survivor. So it's wonderful when a family um, comes together and can take advantage of our services together, but that's not always realistic, whether it's for a practical reason or another reason. Um, Caregivers are certainly able to take advantage of all of our services with or without the survivor. Uh, We also have some specific programs that are targeted um, only to caregivers and that we have weekly support programs that connects uh, caregivers with other 
others who are providing care for their loved one. And when we talk about providing care, you know, you talked about um, all the different ways that you can do that. But what's also unique about Ann Arbor is that we are a university town, and so we have a number of people who are here at the university who have a loved one with cancer that do not live here. So they're dealing with the emotional struggles of caregiving from a distance. And so we're able to provide that um, that support here on, on how to sort of deal with all of that uncertainty in addition to all of the, um, you know, all of the pressure to try to be there and when you can and all that kind of thing. So we do have a, a weekly support program here in addition to all of our regular programming for caregivers that I briefly mentioned. Yeah, and I think what you're saying is so important, Bonnie. I mean, you know, we're sort of as a society in our country, you know, people are so spread out and are so scattered. And I think it is important for people to know that they can come to our uh, program, even if their, you know, loved one is, uh, you know, 3,000 miles away. Right. That, you're, you know, your loved one does not need to be there in your backyard with you. Um, you know, your your mother could be dealing with cancer thousands of miles away, and you could really feel like you need some support in your own community. And you, as the caregiver, can come right on in to any of our centers to get that support and connect into that, uh, you know, into that community. And of course, you know, the, also sometimes the, the, perhaps the the patient does not want to go to the program. It's not something that appe- that appeals to them. You know, they don't want to go for a support group or the other things that are offered at, at CSC. And um, but you, as the caregiver, do want to do that and connect in with others. And I do. And I I also find Bonnie that it's it's um, it is the place, like you said, where you can really release and where you can, uh, you know, you can say things that you can't say anywhere else. I was sitting in a support group at one of our affiliates with uh, with caregivers, and um, one, one of the women, or her husband had cancer, and he was at home, and um, she she said, you know, I just want to, I, I just need to say that my husband's being a pain in the neck. And she said, and I can't, I can't say that anywhere else because people are going to think I'm a horrible person. And right. this is the only place where I can actually come and say that and feel safe and know that there are going to be people in the room who understand what I'm saying, Bonnie. Is that, is that what your experience is? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are all kinds of things. Or even just, even just not being a pain in the neck, but even things like, I'm I'm just so tired. It feels like this has been going on forever, and I'm exhausted, and I don't yeah. know how long I can do this for. And and they would feel guilty telling their loved one that because there's a right. very delicate balance of being honest and not wanting someone to feel like they're a burden. And as much as we want people to be honest, and we absolutely do, yeah. um, people are concerned about how their loved one is going to react to that, and they don't want to hurt them. And so right. this is a place where um, they can be with other people that say, Oh, I know. I, I've been so tired too. You know, we've been in and out of treatment for two years, and it just right. feels like it's been going on forever. And right. you know, we have yeah. good months and bad months, and you know, and so it is a safe place for all that kind yeah. of thing. And so, and yeah, no and I just, I just want to emphasize that to everyone who's listening today. Um, uh, you know, this has been such a great show and a conver- great conversation. I want to really thank Bonnie and Dr. Northhouse for returning to the show to update us on the findings of this, and we're certainly going to look for ways. Uh, to work with you to get this program out to many, many more people who are impacted by cancer. And, and again, just to emphasize what Bonnie's saying, uh, we've got, you know, 52 centers across the country. We've got a host of free programs for people with cancer, people with all cancers at all stage of illness, uh, and for their family members and, and, and loved ones, support groups. 
educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Last year, we provided over $40 million in free services to patients and caregivers. So come and, come and uh, give us a call and uh, come on in and learn about what we have. Um, our website is cancersupportcommunity.org. You can find a list of all of our centers, or if you want to speak to someone by phone, you can call our helpline at 888-793-9355. It's been a great show uh, today. I uh, thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management